In a world where a hero wants to prove herself to her family and her community, she must battle wild beasts, an implied impending genocide, and a murderous monster from outer space. Using her strength, knowledge, and ingenuity, she will battle the Predator. Femininity in the post-apocalypse. Hey there, you perfect people of the post-apocalypse. You're listening to Femininity in the Post-Apocalypse, a feminist exploration of dystopian media. I'm your host, Claire Lockhart. I'm an artist who periodically breaks free from my studio of solitude in order to geek out about doomsday stories with other amazing artists. I'm pleased to be able to discuss the movie Prey from 2022 with my incredible guest. We'll also rate the film, and afterwards, I'll announce the recipient of the Honorary Doctor of Dystopian Studies degree from the unaccredited College of Claire. Thank you for joining us. My guest is artist Sam Drapeau, who incorporates fun pop culture references into their artwork along with creating art focused on mental health. If weird and nerdy is your norm, then you're going to want to join me at the Sam Drapeau Fan Club. You can officially show your support by heading to patreon.com slash Sam That's spelled S-A-M-D-R-A-P-E-A-U-X. Welcome to the show, Sam. Yay, thank you for having me. <laughs> Yay, thank you for being here. I bet you are in the middle of something incredible, right? Uh, yes, always. <laughs> always. <laughs> How many projects do you have going on with your artistic practice at this time? Is it a million or is it a schmillion? Uh, probably a schmillion. Mm. Um, I've got four different comics I'm writing. I've got a couple different just normal like sketches and stuff that I'm working on um, to turn into some Patreon content. And then I don't know, I've got lots of collaborative work that I'm doing as well. <laughs> oh my goodness. Lots I, of I don't know how you have time to sleep, let alone join me, but I'm so pleased that you're here. Even <laughs> though I would be surprised if any of my friends listening to the show aren't already friends with you too, Sam. I want to disclose that we've known each other for about a decade, right? Yeah, yeah. We've performed in Rocky Horror together. You've been kind enough to model for me for one of my paintings. And I recently added some of your artwork to my personal art collection. I cannot stop bragging about the fabulous print I bought from you of Skeletor riding a winged rainbow beast. <laughs> now, if this boasting happens to increase the print's value, well, I'm just going to rub it in the faces of everyone who continues to not buy your artwork while it's still affordable. Yeah, I mean, right now it's on Patreon for like at the most $15. That's you... way too affordable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can uh, go to my Patreon and sign up for three months. And then I also have a deal where I was trying to make an extra print um, to entice people to come in and buy more oh my of my gosh. stuff. <laughs> I just always imagine like my art collection being so vast and huge that when I die, they just have to turn the house into a museum because it'll be easier. And this conversation we're having right now will establish the provenance of that piece. And some poor grad student who has to like comb through my archives will have to listen to our interview. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but Sam, I'm so happy you could join me for this episode of Femininity in the Post-Apocalypse. We're going to have a conversation about the movie Prey from 2022. But before we recount the plot, please tell us about when you first watched the movie. Um, so I watched Prey when it first came out in 2022. Um, I was excited that it was about a Native American woman fighting the predator. Um, I had to watch it again before this. Yeah. Um, but I I actually looked up how old she is supposed to be because I thought she was a young girl. She's mm -hmm. actually 19. Um, and then I also found her original name was supposed to be Gay. Okay. No. In no. Comanche. Okay. No. So I thought that was really interesting that her name meant no originally. Do you know uh, what her name Naru means? No, I did not look that up. I no, that was a, actually a kind of a funny joke because you knew the first one was. Anyway, I love to explain no. <laughs> jokes because I'm a nerd and don't socialize enough. <laughs> <laughs> but to help us recall what happened in the film or to fill in the gaps for those listening who haven't watched it, I'm going to summarize the entire plot. After that, we'll talk about the movie and we'll rate it according to the Maynadometer. Since the Maynads were known for running off to the woods to have a good time and party and drink wine, I have to know if you had anything good to eat or drink when you watched Prey. Um, I just had two drinks, a seltzer water and an IPA, but I definitely would have rather had wine <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was pretty chilly when i watched it last so i had a hot toddy so some herbal tea honey and a splash of whiskey to, but it was good <laughs> <laughs> even though i watched this movie both in english and comanche i must confess that i am terrible at paying attention all the way through movies I'll do my best to provide an accurate synopsis of the entire film, but Sam, please feel free to jump in at any time to help me out with the details. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to start off with my best movie preview voiceover and switch back into my regular voice because I cannot sustain that. <laughs> An axe-wielding warrior named Naru and her dog Sari hunt a deer in the woods. But the dog gets injured when his tail is caught in a European colonizer metal trap. Naru frees her dog and soothes his injury, but she notices a weird alien disturbance in the sky. The protagonist tells her brother, Tabe, of the thunderbird she observed in the atmosphere. How would you have described the disturbance? Thunderbirds seem pretty appropriate to me. Definitely. And the fact that she thought it was like a sign and not anything to be worried about, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very scary. But her brother dismisses her concerns. Then Naru and her mother work together in their home to prepare food and medicine. Naru's mother tells her she's good at so many things that she shouldn't need to hunt. And she sends Naru on an errand to gather orange tutsia. Now, I'm terrible at identifying plants so if this was my job i'd probably poison myself <laughs> yeah, yeah how are you at plant identification do you have a garden do you do any foraging sam um i do foraging with my son he's actually really good at identifying plants um and we i have a plant identifier app because oh. i'm I'm terrible. Like if it has <laughs> flowers on it, I think I can figure it out. But all the plants that are just leaves, I I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. I 
am allergic to like all the plants in the world. So I'm like, well, this one makes my nose runny and this one makes my eyes itchy. And that's how I classify plants. <laughs> the predator makes their debut in all their CGI clicking glory. <laughs> I get so distracted by interesting animation in movies. How about you, Sam? Uh, yes. <laughs> I definitely prefer like uh, puppets and in, in, over CGI. <laughs> oh, yeah. The practical effects like I love claymation. Oh, yeah. Or and claymation. Yeah. A good stop motion skeleton. And that's my favorite type of movie. <laughs> but Naru gathers plants, including the orange flower, which is a sign of foreshadowing. A group of young men band together to hunt a lion that caught one of their brethren, and they're not pleased to see Naru join their quest. Didn't one of the men have something super snarky to say when they saw her? Oh, yes. they. He said, uh, we're not going to be here long enough to need a cook. <laughs> yeah, old timey. Go make me a sandwich. Yep. <sighs> so I guess we don't feel too empathetic for these dudes. And we shouldn't Not get too all. attached to them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but in the same woods, the invisible predator kills an animated snake. And I don't know, I was thinking maybe the animals were animated so poorly to make it very clear to the audience that no real animals were harmed during the making of this movie. <laughs> it's funny, like I was, we watched uh, the first predator and i was just thinking about that whether they harmed the animals in that movie or not but i think all of those were cgi too or something okay i haven't watched that one in a while but it is yeah i guess at least the animals were okay i mean it's too bad they didn't pay the animators well enough that they could have the time to make a good you know cgi snake but whatever naru and her dog find the man who was attacked by the lion and she treats his gaping wounds the group builds a stretcher to bring the injured guy back home her brother wants to hunt the feline but naru says something bigger must have scared off the beast on the trip back the hero notices the snake that was skinned by the predator and she spots a giant alien footprint but the men folks say it's bear tracks. Really? Bear tracks? At the very well, least, it should have been Bigfoot, right? Yeah. They didn't even like blink twice at the snake being skinned. <laughs> yeah, that is super weird. Oh, uh, with Bigfoot though, has there ever been a Predator versus Bigfoot movie? Oh, they need to. <laughs> <laughs> I love like all the 80s monster something versus something else, like Chucky versus Alien or Alien versus Predator <laughs> or the Leprechaun versus, I don't know. I, I actually don't know which ones are the real ones and which ones I just want to see. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Naru leaves the group to warn her brother and another man. She hatches a plan to bait the lion. As they wait for the puma, the other man taunts Naru for being a coward right as the animal attacks him with poetic justice and its deadly claws. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say the fact that they keep saying that she's running away. It's like, well, sometimes you have to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Naru fights the lion, but she falls out of the tree. Her brother brings her back home. Her mother helps her recover from the attack. And her mother tells Naru that Katamiya isn't about proving that she can hunt, but that she can survive. I have never been hunting before, though. Have you, Sam? 
Uh, no. I have lots of hunters in my family, and one time they brought home a deer, and it was in the garage, and I saw the blood trickling from its ear. Mm-hmm. Um, like that was enough of an image for me that I was like, I don't really want to kill anything. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate when the animal has given its life to sustain me, but the most right. vicious fight I'll be in is with a five pound gummy bear. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, if I were out in the wild and something was attacking me, I'd, I'm, might just run but if i have no chance of actually surviving i would just be like okay just just take me <laughs> oh my goodness like i hate running okay my friends who are listening to me i am not a role model you guys should exercise or whatever but i won't run it's awful i hate it and i've decided like if a bear is chasing me i am not going to run because the bear is going to maul me to death anyway and i don't want to die tired on top of it nope. <laughs> <laughs> but Tabe victoriously brings home the headless lion and is awarded the title of war chief. Everyone is excited for him except Naru, appears jealous. Tabe tries to share the victory at first and congratulate Naru, but she insists that there is something else in the woods that's a bigger threat. Oh, that's like every horror movie trope. There's something in the woods and the brother doesn't believe her. <laughs> Yeah, no one believes her, and it's, like, really crazy to me. Like, she's telling you all of these signs. You've seen those signs, and oh, I don't have, believe her. Have you heard of the term Cassandrian task? Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> like a Sisyphean task is you keep pushing that boulder up the hill, and it keeps rolling down. But Cassandra was the one that was psychic and told everyone what was going to happen and no one believed her and that's kind of the theme was, of this movie too yeah she was cursed to not be believed in like all of her predictions would come true mm -hmm. but no one will believe it that is the ultimate i told you so it is <laughs> in the morning naru heads out on her own and notices glowing green ooze nearby a monstrous footprint i thought the green was a pretty good color for this movie <laughs> good yeah what do you do when you find like a mysterious oozing liquid <laughs> um definitely don't touch it or follow its tracks <laughs> <laughs> well the invisible predator spots some animals with its heat vision which helps hide the poor quality of the animated animals that does help yes <laughs> <laughs> Predator hunts and peels a coyote while Naru invents a rope retrieving axe for hunting. Or is it a hatchet? Is it an axe? I, I don't know weapons. Do you? Uh, I would say hatchet, probably. Hatchet? Okay. Yeah. And so she has this modified hatchet. And I love modified weaponry in horror movies. My absolute favorite is the chainsaw arm from Evil Dead. Do you have a favorite made up weapon? <laughs> Honestly, it's that. It's that. <laughs> I loved Evil Dead. <laughs> oh, I love it. And having that ability to have your willing suspension of disbelief. I mean, I already believe that aliens exist going into this movie. So why not a rope attached to a hatchet that you can go fling and it comes back? I was just waiting for it to like hit her in the head or something. Well, that was <laughs> That would be if I was in the movie. So... <laughs> 
So the protagonist and her dog encounter a horrifying field of skin buffalo, but this desecration wasn't done by the predator. This is foreshadowing for another invading threat. Unfortunately, the hero then literally falls into the movie trope of quicksand. So that way it's an official action movie, right? With quicksand? Yep. In mud. (laughs) Oh, it looks so sticky and gross. But she uses her hatchet on a rope to save herself at the last minute. Next, a bear. Sarcastic air quotes because it's a computer bear. Next, a bear chases her. But then the predator fights the bear, which allows her to escape. She encounters the group of hunters and explains that she saw a monster kill a bear and she must warn her brother. They don't believe her, harass her, and so she fights the main guy. Mm -hmm. So the men attack her and make fun of her hatchet rope. They tie her up, but the predator strikes and annihilates the main guy. See, we weren't supposed to get too attached to them. (laughs) The group fights the cosmic killer with arrows and spears, but the predator massacres them while clicking their extraterrestrial clicks. I can't do that sound effect at all, can you? No. (laughs) Click, 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 click. (laughs) The predator is not my most quoted movie monster, that's for sure. (laughs) But Naru regains her axe, cuts herself free of her bindings, and escapes to find the one guy who left earlier to take a leak. He is then murdered brutally by the predator, but Naru runs to freedom. Almost. She runs right into one of those metal traps. Mm Mm-hmm. Then, a gaggle of stinky Frenchmen capture the protagonist and lock her in a cage. The smelliest man taunts and threatens Naru, but a skinny dude who speaks Comanche asks her for help in finding the predator. As she answers him, Her brother is tortured by a group of men who seem like they'd rather be in a castle screaming that Graham Chapman's mother was a hamster and his father smelled of elderberries. (laughs) Sorry, I cannot do the Monty Python French accent. How's yours? Oh, I like I can barely say my last name. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot do a French accent. (laughs) Yeah, you were telling me earlier about the various pronunciations of your last name. Um, my Native American family, they say Drapo, um, and my dad really didn't like that, I guess, and he wanted me to say it Drapo, mm-hmm. and then I, I couldn't stand how very different those two things sounded, and so I looked it up, and it's actually a much softer, like, I can't even, like, Drapo, <laughs> Drapo? I don't know, but it's, it's like a softer sounding oh and i just can't replicate it well (laughs) it's your name and you get to decide how we pronounce it yep it's just cool it's got the x at the end that's all i care about yes (laughs) and as long as i don't pronounce it i'm kind of close correct (laughs) absolutely (laughs) so back to the movie the colonizers then tie the siblings to a stake as bait but the murder alien unsurprisingly kills a lot of the Frenchmen. Naru reveals that the monster doesn't hunt the weak and her brother confesses that he was only able to defeat the lion because she weakened it first. Mm -hmm. 
While massacring an impressive number of 18th century French invaders, the predator steps into one of the metal traps. The humans all shoot the extraterrestrial exterminator, but there's a great moment when they all stop shooting because they have to take five minutes to reload their old-timey guns. <laughs> yes, that was hilarious. <laughs> I laughed during that part. Uh, it was good. It was good timing. And this permits <laughs> the predator to do even more predatoring, 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 massacring, yeah. <laughs> killing, <laughs> decimating. Now, Naru frees herself and her brother by using a metal trap as a scissors, whilst the fur trappers keep shooting the celestial killer. But the space age technological weapons destroy the Europeans. Naru discovers the bad guys tied up her dog, so she stabs and or kills a few of them to rescue her faithful companion. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Like, she just destroyed all of them all single-handedly. Mm-hmm. Sam, do you have any pets? Uh, yes, I have two dogs. There are currently four cats in the house and a bunny and a hamster. Oh, my goodness. And I'd imagine you would massacre some colonizing stinky Frenchmen to save your, your wonderful pets, right? Oh, absolutely. No one can touch <laughs> any of them <laughs> and they're all babies too they'd cry and they'd be like please please help me and be oh, like no. they're all dead don't worry <laughs> <laughs> and then even if you had the cgi pets you'd have even more of them i'd imagine oh probably i mean i still have like neopets out there somewhere <laughs> <laughs> If you could keep one of those alive, you are one of the greatest caretakers on the planet. <laughs> well, now they don't die. They changed it a while ago where they can only get very hungry and mm -hmm. they will not die anymore. Oh, okay. It's cheating, I feel like, but... <laughs> well, in the movie, I have to go back to that, the translator skinny dude shows up, but he's now missing a leg. He promises to show Naru how to use his gun if she will help him with his wounds. She stops his bleeding and gives him the orange flower to slow his heart and drop his body temperature, which makes him invisible slash uninteresting to the predator until the predator steps on him, which makes him cry out in pain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the intergalactic butcher puts an end to the translator. Tabe suddenly appears on a horse and stabs the hell out of the predator with a spear. He also shoots them with an arrow and calls the predator a cheater for using a sci-fi invisibility cloak. Tabe knows the predator thinks he's the threat, and with his last dying breath, he encourages his sister to finish off the deceptive alien monster. That was a good yeah. movie death, right? <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was like in his words at the end where it's like this is it this is as far as i go and it's like oh no oh, it was teamwork <laughs> it was teamwork and like it was just like with the with the lion where it was teamwork then too and he knew it he gave her credit at the end <laughs> and naru escapes and she captures one of her former captors as she ingests the flower that will make her invisible to the predator, she informs the filthy man that she's killing him. Naru gives her enemy an ineffective gun, which makes him the predator's bait. 
after the homicidal alien decapitates the Frenchman, Naru shoots the predator, steals their helmet, and then sets a new trap. She and her dog literally disarm the interstellar slayer, capture them in the quicksand, and use their own technology against them. I was just, again, waiting for, like, how did she know that it wouldn't pierce her, too? Because, like, the... The thing like came right up to her forehead and then whipped around to go shoot through his head. And <laughs> oh my goodness, she was very observant and smart, and I wouldn't have been able to do any of that. <laughs> and very good at measuring. Like she put that helmet just just where it would hit him. Like mm -hmm. it was great, but it was kind of fun in the movie because we got to see her setting traps and luring other predators and it was a good way of that story narration to build i thought yeah and it's a very like like it's a big testament to how different humans are in how they hunt mm -hmm. and their creativity versus like the predator just he, he's just invisible and it's he, he is cheating yeah. <laughs> totally cheating so naru returns home victorious with the decapitated predator head dripping in glowing green alien blood. And I guess it's good that this didn't have the same blood as the alien from Aliens. Was that acid? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know, yeah. I was like, I would not be putting that on my body. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was really cool and glows in the dark, but Naru warns her neighbors of the impending doomsday due to Europeans invading. Her community bestows Naru with the title of war chief, and her awesome dog cheers her on. Yay! Yay! <laughs> well, Sam, do you know who else likes to bathe in the glowing blood of their enemies? Who else? <laughs> the sponsors that support the show! Yay! <laughs> This program is brought to you by the unaccredited College of Clare. I created UCK because, ugh, you shouldn't have to go into debt up to your eyeballs to learn about art. Check out my art lessons and tutorials at patreon.com slash Claire Lockhart. Some of those lessons are even free. Go to patreon.com slash K-L-A-I-R-E-L-O-C-K-H-E-A-R-T. Welcome back to the show. Because Femininity in the Post-Apocalypse is a new program, I want to make sure that I'm clearly conveying the purpose of our conversation. I often enjoy dystopian movies, but I've noticed that women and people of other marginalized genders are often mistreated in these stories or are missing completely. My hope is that if we can be critical of this lack of diversity in entertainment, this can help people in the real world. Notice how women, non-binary, and two-spirit people are treated in everyday life. As a feminist, my incredibly optimistic hope is that all people will eventually be treated as people. Our goal isn't to do a deep dive into the history of the Predator franchise, nor provide biographies of the people who made the film. We are simply going to talk about what we as viewers enjoyed, what we didn't like, and how dystopian media like Prey influences us and our work. After our chat, we'll rate the movie using the one-of-a-kind Maynado-meter. <laughs> I'd like to begin by talking about the main character, Naru. 
Sam, do you remember how you felt when you first saw Naru? I don't know. I felt like I was really excited to see her. Um, even even though she was like the only one amongst the men going hunting and everything, mm-hmm. she uh, it was just really excited to see a character. Oh, I can't think of words right now. Oh, that's okay. I was really excited to see a feminine protagonist in an action horror impending doomsday type movie. Like that just doesn't happen very often. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was yeah excited about. Um, Usually like the movie poster, you know, it's the, the buff guy and then there's like a wench on his leg and it's like, no, she's the main guy. And to see even like having an indigenous woman as the main character is even more rare, unfortunately. And that she wasn't like beautified where she like, you know, had that grimy charcoal makeup under her eyes, mm-hmm. like to look like she's a warrior. Like she's not wearing anything that's supposed to be overly sexualized. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> she, she was not, her costume design wasn't made to placate the male gaze, the G A Z E yeah. art term. And like usually when I watch movies and you have the the one superhero action lady and she has the long flowing curling hair and it's like get a ponytail but <laughs> I wasn't bothered by Naru's hair in this because the men also had long hair yes and it didn't look like she sat in a stylish chair for four hours it looked like actual hair mm-hmm but yeah, her costuming, her design. Oh, I did when I was watching it and she woke up and had her charcoal makeup on. I was like, oh, it's a movie. She went to bed with her makeup on. Yep. <laughs> so, something I did notice and I didn't mention yet. She uh, continuously is kicked awake. Oh. They just kick her awake. And I'm just, and that's like the first thing that really happens. They kick her awake and then she slowly gets up and like she doesn't have any interaction with anybody right yet yet um mm-hmm. but it was just i don't know well if you're telling me she's not a morning person she's even more relatable than i thought she was absolutely yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not, it seems like she's the last one to get out of bed basically oh yeah i i can find that the most relatable part of her character <laughs> absolutely <laughs> But compared to like other apocalyptic slash horror slash action movies, I, like I said, I really enjoyed that there was a woman protagonist and yeah, you already said that she wasn't exploited, nor was she objectified. And one of the other things that I enjoyed was I'm pretty sure she passed the Ali Nadi test. Yes. Right. And, And so like a lot of times we'll talk about the Bechdel test, which is just the low bar of, are there two people of marginalized genders who talk to each other about something other than a man. But in the Ali Nadi test means there's an indigenous woman as the main character, which rarely happens. And she doesn't fall in love with a white man and mm-hmm. she isn't raped or doesn't die in the story. Now you did bring up a point about mm, those French fur trappers though. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it was, she was in a cage and we can all probably assume what would have happened had she stayed in that Mm -hmm. cage. They were like baiting her and treating her like an animal. Um, But she did get out and she did kill everyone. (laughs) Yes. And I looked up uh, her name during our break. Yeah. So Naru's name means fight. 
And I just thought that was interesting. Somebody gave her that name with the intention of her having a fighting spirit. I mean, you're not going to be very peaceful with a name like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's a lot stronger than no. (laughs) Oh, yeah. With the original draft of the the script. Yeah. And with the setting of this movie, too, it took place almost completely outside and i am definitely an indoor kid because i'm allergic to everything on planet earth which is why the setting really stood out to me however i know from your artwork sam that you embrace nature and incorporate the outdoors so tell me about maybe some of your recent hiking adventures and the drawings this has inspired yes so i Anytime I can, especially when it's really warm out, I like to go outside and I, we, in Tennessee, there are like a million trails. Mm -hmm. And so we go on all of these different trails at least once a week. And sometimes I try to go even by myself and just surrounding myself in nature um, really like calms me and it like inspires me to create. Um, Even if a lot of my artwork isn't like necessarily like, showing nature it definitely is inspired by nature um (laughs) oh that's excellent and have you always been inspired to be a part of going outdoors and hiking is that something that you've done your whole life or is it just since you've moved to the area you're at now um I've grown up camping with family um so like I've I've always been in nature um, and plus like uh, I've gone to like powwows and some of my Native American families like religious um, like gatherings like mm-hmm. we have like a sun dance and um, going to stuff like that has been also really inspiring like seeing so many other people just um, taking in the land around us and breathing it in and worshiping it and like it's just really powerful to me Mm -hmm. um I mean so my family uh my husband and kids they don't really like to go camping okay (laughs) (laughs) um so I haven't gotten to do a lot of like actual camping since I've moved here yeah um but uh I've I've have gotten to go like backpacking where we go deep into the woods and we're farther away from society and there's no cell service out there and oh goodness really quiet and it's nice um as long as you don't i was gonna say as long (laughs) as you don't find giant alien footprints (laughs) i did run into what may have been a bobcat or a lion i'm not sure it was dark looking for water and we're walking down this trail and we we found out in the morning it was the wrong trail but we're like where's the water i cannot find it and um we're like okay watch out for snakes that was like the main thing we were told Uh to watch for snakes and um we're walking along and i hear like a little hiss and i was like oh oh no and then we just hear this big like growling hiss and i was like that is not a snake that's not a snake let's leave and my friend uh is in front of me like kind of running and I grab a giant stick with like a bunch of branches at the end and I'm like dragging it behind me trying to make as much noise as possible and 
we were fine. Um, some deer came by to <laughs> our campsite. Um, but it's really, I don't know, it was really an interesting and exciting experience to kind of run into some scary stuff like that. But I was definitely not hunting a mountain lion. I would not. <laughs> it was a bobcat only because it didn't continue to follow us um, yeah that's more adventurous than i personally <laughs> would feel comfortable with oh i was going to ask so this movie has a comanche culture represented in it and you have told me before are you ponca Ponca um, of Nebraska, yes. Of Nebraska. And so that's also a Great Plains area, correct? Yeah. I have to think of, like, I have to, like, look at a map to be like, where did this movie take place? But we have the Great Plains, and it, like, stretches up from Canada all the way down to Texas. And so you have this big swath of North America, which I do think probably makes this movie feel a little bit more relatable because, like, the trees and the woods and the plants probably are accessible to a lot of people or at least us in the the middle of the country yeah absolutely <laughs> and i've noticed that you incorporate some amazing plants and natural elements into your work i was thinking about a drawing that you created i think it's a print now you can tell me if it is but in this image you have laying down on like green grass and other plants this feminine figure in a green dress and she's holding hands with a skeleton mm -hmm. um so that piece was actually inspired by a song um in one week by hosier um yeah i tend to draw a lot of skeletons in my work mm -hmm. um and with that one the song really talks about like becoming nature when you die um and like i don't know i uh think about death a lot maybe more than i should <laughs> it's something that i think is really um really interesting to me to think about um if you're if you die in the woods you just become a part of the woods like you're a part of the those trees those plants um and then uh versus like being buried in a coffin mm -hmm. um, and having like skeletons and skulls can often be seen as macabre but in the western tradition of art you have the memento mori and it's just a reminder that time is short and life is fleeting and the way that you incorporate skeletons and these more dreary i guess themes in your work it's not gross and it's not like a nasty type of macabre as i mentioned earlier i was bragging about having your skeletor print and i mean skeletor <laughs> what caused you to what inspired you to make that fabulous rainbow skeletor <laughs> uh actually so my xbox name is mm -hmm. skeletor is love oh um and i think i created that because i saw something of skeletor like lying down in like a those snuggies wearable blankets or whatever, <laughs> and he just looked so like 
like feminine in that drawing and very um uh I don't know like I just kind of thought that Skeletor could be like queer or like love um or, or not love because he's all about evil but he <laughs> but we love evil we love we evil love Skeletor evil. <laughs> but yes yeah, so like I don't know like Skeletor could be all about um everybody loving each other because evil needs love too <laughs> it's just so much fun that you have pop culture references you're incorporating your just beautiful nerdery and you're making artwork that is just fun to look at it's even more fun to own because seeing the tiny picture like scrolling past on instagram or seeing it up on your patreon is nothing compared to the the physical print that i get to hang up and enjoy and i am just excited that your work also incorporates like some more meaningful and deeper messages it's kind of like in this movie it's yeah it's a fun franchise that started in the 80s right is that when the predator movie started and it's like a horror action movie but it has that deeper meaning where there's a woman protagonist and you get to experience it through comanche culture and having some variety and diversity makes the movie a little bit deeper than i would have thought just thinking oh another predator movie yeah yeah and i love the cultural aspect of it too because it's not just kind of thrown in as an afterthought it's like more deeply thought out um than a lot of other like stories with native americans in it (laughs) yeah or people yeah and one of the things i thought was great was how it was just woven in like during the celebrations they had the drummers come out and was there anything that stood out to you in the movie about some of the cultural aspects or just that world building i mean yeah i thought of the drummers too and um just the fact that like they're healing like all of like how they heal their um like when at the very beginning when she's like putting that paste on her dog's tail um it's like very it's all natural um and everything um and like that's still a thing now even though there's like uh um actual like medicine they like a lot of um indigenous people will still use um homeopathic um natural healing remedies um yeah she was basically a doctor (laughs) he was a doctor yeah and i think that's really what her mom was trying to be like you can't go hunting you got to stay home and be a doctor (laughs) that's a good balance she can murder and she can heal yeah (laughs) (laughs) was there anything else that you wanted to discuss with the movie or are you ready to give it a rating um i think i'm ready to give it a rating okay so the maynadometer is our feminist evaluation system that rates dystopian media on a scale of zero to five skulls Maynad means raving one, and these were women from ancient Greece who cast off their traditional gender roles to go party with Dionysus in the woods. They would drink, dance, and sometimes rip apart their enemies limb from limb, kind of like how Naru and her dog defeated the predator. (laughs) For the Maynadometer, a low score would mean that there weren't any women or people of other marginalized genders, and they were treated poorly or terribly. 
A high score would mean that there was diversity and the women were treated well. Do you mind if I share my rating first, Sam? No, go ahead. So I'm going to give Prey a rating of four skulls. The protagonist was a young woman and we got to witness her learn, use her expertise, and she was named War Chief for her skills as a hunter. It's not very often that the hero of an action or sci-fi or horror movie is an indigenous woman. Naru did endure a lot of violence, but the men in this movie also received similar treatment or worse. However, there weren't very many women in the movie overall. I only counted three that had lines, but in the community, there was a range of ages of the women and girls, and so that was nice. A lot of apocalyptic type movies completely forget to cast women in the crowd scenes at all. <laughs> I've seen some movies where it's like there might be one woman in the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that's embarrassing. <laughs> yep. So even though most of the characters in Prey were men, I did like that there was diversity in the masculine characters. They were easy for me to tell them apart. So there was uniqueness in their costuming as well. And so my score is going to be four skulls. Sam, using this scale of zero to five skulls, how would you rate Prey based on how it treats women? I think I would also give it four skulls. Um, the only thing is, like, I'm not sure if it's very clear that they don't want her to hunt because mm -hmm. she's a woman. But um, I did like that they had the mom in there, like, you know, like you were saying, different age ranges and stuff. Um, but yeah, there weren't very many women. And again, just the way that the that she was caged. Um yeah it was pretty not good <laughs> yeah the implied future violence that was the scariest part of that movie for me actually yes. and i know that they treated her brother in the same way which is also not yeah. good but at least it wasn't specifically gendered violence yes um and i definitely think it like it could have gotten worse um <laughs> mm -hmm. But and I don't know they they took her brother out and cut him, yeah. Um, which like they were I don't know they could have done that to her. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think they also like wrote her off where they're like, well, she's not a threat, but he is. Mm. Um, so I think that's like another layer. Um, there. But, yeah. Is there anything else positive about Naru or the movie you wanted to add? Um, maybe just to, like, say again that the fact that she is the main character, that the first words, the first lines of the movie were hers, um, and, like, that was very focused on her story and how she was gonna defeat the Predator. It didn't really, like, any of the other men, um, it... They weren't really a focus like the most like focal point on any of the men were like um like her brother mm -hmm. uh, and her brother was like the main one who was on her side and was like no you've got this you can do this and so that that's really great like having that support because even if she didn't have that support we know that she would have definitely kicked some ass but <laughs> um 
it was good that um to have a supporting character like that um huh. just to point out like that she um wasn't entirely alone and that no not everyone thought that she couldn't do it whether it was because she was a woman or not i don't know <laughs> no that's excellent i'm also going to share the rating the amazing people at the unaccredited college of claire gave to pray for each topic we cover on the show my friends at patreon have a chance to rate it using the main meter too i then take all the scores and average them out to share their rating and if any of you lovely people listening want to share your input on the next episode just head over to patreon.com slash claire lockhart but for Prey, my patrons rated this movie at four skulls, too. So we have a consensus. Yay. <laughs> that made the math really easy. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much for talking about Prey with me. Thank you for having me. Like, it's it's been a lot of fun. I don't get to talk about a lot of movies like this a lot. Um, having that in-depth discussion is something that I've really missed. <laughs> having with you specifically. <laughs> oh, this has been a lot of fun. But before you go, I'm going to shamelessly plug your Patreon account so our fantastic listeners will have a chance to support the work you do. Trying to make ends meet as an artist is almost impossible, but when kind and supportive people buy memberships or directly commission artwork, it makes a world of difference. My friends, you can follow Sam at patreon.com slash Sam That's spelled S- a-M-D-R-A-P-E-A-U-X. But we don't pronounce the X because it's French, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the A-U-X makes it O, yeah. <laughs> I'm also going to remind you wonderful people to keep listening to the end of the show so you don't miss the next recipient of the Honorary Doctor of Dystopian Studies degree from the unaccredited College of Claire. Thank you again for discussing Prey with me, Sam. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. And I look forward to geeking out with you on other sci-fi horror movies. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much. And I'm not good at concluding a conversation. So here's my awkward goodbye. Okay, bye. <laughs> This podcast is part of the Department of Dystopian Studies at the unaccredited College of Clare. If you had the inkling that this program is simply an advertisement for my academia-themed Patreon page, you're right. Because I'm the founder of UCK, I get to bestow honorary degrees to the people who strive to make the world a better place. Today, I am pleased to announce the recipient of the Honorary Doctor of Dystopian Studies degree. Alex Jameson. Alex is an artist, writer, coach, a Gen X goth girl, and she's the co-creator slash star of the fast food documentary Supersize Me. To see her work, you should visit her website, alexandrajameson.art. That's A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A-J-A-M-I-E-S-O-N dot art. On her site, you can see and order Alex's abortion trading cards, which is a mixed media work of art that is an altered deck of cards emphasizing the importance of bodily autonomy. Welcome to the show, Dr. Alex Jameson.
Pew, 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 pew. Oh, oh I need oh. one of those horns. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bring my own sound effects. Thank you so much. I've always wanted to be an honorary doctor. Yes, Dr. Alex, thank you for taking the time to be here. You have been inundated with so much work promoting these abortion trading cards. And I have my deck right here. Yay. This is such a huge project. And since we're using an audio medium, would you mind describing what this project entails? <laughs> yes. So imagine a deck of cards that you find in your grandparents' attic buried underneath a bunch of stuff in the dystopian future. And this deck of cards has been painted and hand drawn upon and collaged to tell the story of abortion, reproductive health, sex education, and abortion history. So it's over 30 cards with abortifacient herbs, secretly rust dyed on the back, it has a couple of Bible passages. Um, it has Benjamin Franklin's uh, abortion recipe that he wrote and published <laughs> in the 1700s to teach math to the colonists, <laughs> which is so wild. And it comes in a brown paper wrapping, which alludes to my Gen X childhood of when they would send pornographic material through the mail like a Playboy. It would come back <laughs> in this plain brown wrapper. So it's this kind of like secret, not secret that you're about to look at something really interesting. That is incredible. And I enjoy the extra context. So I have the huge deck of cards and then you created this book as a companion piece and you explain the individual cards. Let's see if I can get the sound effect. <laughs> and you have prompts for discussion too. I really enjoy that this artwork you created is tactile so I can flip through the cards and handle each one individually, but then you have this social call within it. So this is made to discuss with our friends, right? Yeah, I've actually hosted a few card parties here in New York state. I live in Brooklyn, New York city. And you spread the cards out, you get some friends around the table, you let people kind of decide which cards are most interesting, you know, pick them up, look at them like, oh, what is this card about? What is this herb? What is this history? What is this? And you can look up each card like a tarot deck and see like what the different visual aspects are of each one, how it was made. But then each one has a story and a prompt. And it's really to start conversation. It's to connect us around this topic of bodily autonomy, abortion rights. And several of the prompts are um, kind of activist prompts as well to get you. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming to be in these topics. Mm -hmm. And so if you pick a card that gives you one step to take that truly contributes to these movements. It can help you feel powerful and help you contribute in a, a meaningful way. Well, it's incredible that you created this work of art and I'm based in South Dakota, which is one of these places where we don't have bodily autonomy. And, oh, I should have asked at the start, how can people get their own set of these cards? 
I'm so very lucky. I have an incredible publisher who saw the project and is working with me. We've printed 2000 decks and we're selling them online now. You can, I mean, you can get them at my website or you can go to Row House Publishers and they, you know, they're 20 bucks for a deck. It's very reasonably priced. They'll ship it to you in the mail. Um, and we're giving, my publisher is taking zero profits, which is unheard of. Wow. They're only keeping enough to cover the printing and shipping, which is incredibly generous of them, but they are a social justice publisher. And we're giving 15% to the Bridget Alliance, which helps people travel to get abortion care if they live in a an abortion desert, as South Dakota is. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Alex. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest. And I'm happy that you get my sense of humor. Plus, you'll accept this honorary degree. Unlike most universities, I won't make you give a long speech at a graduation ceremony. Instead, I'm going to ask you five quick questions so our friends can learn more about you. I almost asked you if you were ready, but that would waste one of my questions. So, <laughs> <laughs> and the first question I'm going to ask is, what is one of your favorite post-apocalyptic novels? I have read so many. It's actually one of my favorite genres, but I love Neil Stevenson's Seven Eves, which is about the end of the world and the seven women who happen to be on the International Space Station who repopulate the human race. So it spans thousands of years. I've actually read it twice. It's so good. Um, I think I read it the year it came out, although I don't remember when that was. He does a very cool thing where it takes him years to write a book because he actually goes out and interviews scientists who are working on the, the early stages of the technology that he's going to write about so he can really infuse the work with hard science. Oh, excellent. Now, Alex, what is a skill that you have that would be beneficial in a post-apocalyptic community? I'm going to cheat and say two. One okay. Is <laughs> Um, I was actually raised by a hippie organic gardener, and so I can, like, grow food. I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. um, and I did go to culinary school, so I can cook masses of food for people, like, using basically rice and beans and whatever herbs are laying around. <laughs> so I can <laughs> grow the food, and I can cook the food. That's excellent. I do not have those skills. So I will continue to suck up to you as the world crumbles around us. <laughs> I have a very extremely serious question for you next. Would you rather fight one ostrich while riding a unicycle or fight two emus while riding a bicycle? Oh, I mean, a, a bicycle <laughs> because... I don't know. I mean, I don't know which bird is scarier, but I know that I cannot ride a unicycle. So I would be dead if it was unicycle territory. <laughs> but you do ride a bicycle a lot, right? I do. I do. I'm a big fan. I've been riding my bike in New York City for 25 years. I'm a big fan. And yes, I, I don't know why there aren't more bicycles and post-apocalyptic stories. Yeah, it seems like it would be incredibly practical. I mean, who has gasoline? <laughs> Nobody's going to have gas in the future. And like, it's 
probably easier to maintain a bicycle than a motorcycle or one of those big war rigs we see in a lot of movies. Oh, I mean, come on, forget it. I mean, I loved the the new Mad Max movie with Furiosa. I thought it was Uh so fun. I loved it, but there's there's no way that they're wasting fuel on those things. It's crazy. <laughs> Well, isn't the point of the movie they're driving to go get more fuel? It seems. <laughs> yeah, it's silly. It's silly. But that's part of the fun of it. Well, right. I mean, a post-apocalyptic movie on bicycles doesn't sound as exciting. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Someone's got to try it. I would totally watch that. <laughs> Bicopolix. I don't know what they're calling. <laughs> Well, next, Alex, what advice do you have for the next generation regarding education? I am encouraged by the young people I know. I have a 17-year-old who goes to public school here in New York City, and they are they are more emotionally intelligent than my generation was at that age, and they seem to be more willing to listen to each other and have intense conversations, which is encouraging. Mm -hmm. So I hope that they keep casting a wide net and looking at a lot of different sources for their education as they go forward. Excellent. And since it feels like the world is crumbling around us, what words of encouragement do you have for all of us? So I was at a brunch yesterday with, there was at least one trans comedian at brunch and there was at least one drag queen. <laughs> when I tell you that it was the most fun I've had at a brunch in a super long time, like there are delightfully hilarious, smart human beings out there. Find them. I actually told <laughs> I told my teenager, it was like, if the apocalypse happens while you're at school, there is a drag club on your school. <laughs> that literally nobody, like no parents in New York City give a shit. Sorry. Sorry. Mm. I hope I can swear. Um, I was like, if the apocalypse happens, go to the drag club. Like, don't go to the cops. You'll be way more likely to like take care of each other. And you'll have so much more fun doing it. If you hang out with the drag queens on your block instead <laughs> of the police. <laughs> That is excellent because when we're thinking about all of these huge existential crises and actual threats to ourselves and dangerous situations, it's important to be able to find that levity and that sense of humor. And that's part of the reason that I've really enjoyed following you on Instagram, where I see the videos that you're posting and all of the photos that you're sharing. Oh, would you mind sharing your Instagram handle in case anyone wants to look you up? Yes. Well, from my days as a chef, it's still delicious, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. It's a delight to be able to talk to you about your artwork and the activism you do, plus hear the advice that you have for all of us and the next generation. Thank you so much for having me, for what you do. I'm so excited to meet you in person someday. Oh, it's wonderful. But thank you again for joining us, Dr. Alex Jameson. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Femininity in the Post-Apocalypse was created and edited by me, Claire Lockhart. You can find me at clairelockhart.com, spelled K-L-A-I-R-E-L-O-C-K-H-E-A-R-T.com. Special thanks to Aaron C. Packard of Aaron C. Packard Productions for providing the voiceover work and my recording equipment. See his work at AaronPackard.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-P-A-C-K-A-R-D.com. Thank you for listening, you wonderful people. You can help show your support for free by sharing this program, subscribing, or writing positive reviews in order to appease the gods of the internet. I'm excited to share the next episode with you, and I hope you'll join me.